Bibles this morning, and I trust you do, and bring them. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get one to you. Man, we will, we will have a Bible in your language within a week. We have some here in a couple of different languages, but if you have a Bible with you, take it now and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, we have been for some months in the Gospel of Mark as we're looking at more closely a focus, a a magnification, if you will, upon the life and the ministry and the teachings and the miracles of Jesus, and we're going to see all of that here today from Mark chapter 7. Have you noticed, have you noticed that when people come to Jesus Christ, and when I say come to Christ, I mean when they begin following him and he transforms their lives and, begin, and continues to transform, when they submit themselves to Christ, in that process, as people come to Christ, other people often have a part in it. Have you noticed that? That when people's lives are transformed, you can almost always point to someone that they know or knew who also had a part in them coming to Christ. It may have been a parent or a sibling or a co-worker or a classmate or a neighbor or a friend or someone had a part in that person not only coming to Christ but also growing in Christ. There's some of you here today because of someone else perhaps here in this room who was very influential in you coming to Jesus. People have a part in other people coming to Christ. Someone did that to you, and you will be that someone, or you are that someone for someone else. Mark chapter 7 records people who brought someone to Christ. Verse 31 reads this way, Jesus left the vicinity excuse me, of Tyre, and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee. There some people brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and who could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. Now I want, uh, let's pause there for a moment, but those first, those first couple verses that we read, I want you to notice that the deaf man did not come on his own. It says here that others brought him. It also says that they, these people begged Jesus to place his hand on the deaf man. I want you to see that. That's very important. These people, we don't know their names. We don't know how many of them there were. We don't know the gender of the persons, male or female. Maybe just some of both. We don't really know. But these people came to Jesus, but they brought this man with them. And they had a measure of faith. They had a measure of faith. Now, we don't, know, we don't know the background to this. Perhaps these people had heard about Jesus. Maybe some had been recipients of Jesus' miraculous power themselves. Or, or someone had told them. But they had a measure of faith and they believed. They believed that they, in bringing this man, they believed and they hoped that Jesus would do the same for this man that they could do something about relieving him from this, this hearing impairment. Now, uh, if you've been with us for some months, you've perhaps picked up on this as we've looked at a couple of different stories on this from the Gospel of Mark, 
people coming to Jesus on behalf of someone else had happened before. In other words, people who didn't come just for their own needs, but people who came on behalf of someone else, someone else who was hurting, someone else who was dying, someone else who was afflicted by something. For example, back in, in, in the second chapter of Mark, um, you, perhaps you remember that story where four men literally carried another man who was himself paralyzed. They carried him to Jesus, and they literally, literally tore the roof off to get this man to Jesus. Great story. That's one of those examples of someone coming not for themselves, but on behalf of another person. Also, in uh, chapter 5, a father came to Jesus. His name was Jairus. He came to Jesus, and he asked Jesus to, uh, to come and, and, and pray for or heal his dying daughter. He didn't go for himself. He went for his daughter. In this same chapter, we looked at it last week, a mother came to Jesus and asked that her daughter that her daughter be freed from a demonic spirit. Her daughter was back home. Her daughter was at some distance. But the mother came and said, and from a distance, <coughs> this little girl was set free. <coughs> Excuse me. So we see a number of examples in Scripture of how people came to, came to Jesus and, and asked uh, on behalf of someone else that Jesus would heal, that Jesus would deliver, that Jesus would... Would, uh, would intervene. We call this intercession. We call this interceding on behalf of someone else. And thank God that he does that. Now, now, we see this in Scripture. We see this in Scripture. People who came to Jesus not for themselves, but for someone else. So even before we get to the core of the story, which we're not there yet, I want you to see that you have a part in someone coming to Jesus. That's really important. Before we even get into the base of it here, I want you to understand that you have a part in someone coming to Jesus. Let me tell you something. Here is, here is a, here is a, a methodology that, that Satan has used to great effect for many people for many years. And that is this thinking that he saved me for me, and now that I'm saved, I can just kind of coast from here. And, and at some point, whenever I die, however I die, when I die, I go to be with Jesus, and, and it's all said and done. Listen, let me tell you, Jesus did not save you just to save you. He used you to be influential in another person coming to Jesus Christ. And there have been too many times where people who have been transformed by the gospel have then essentially held the gospel to themselves and have not shared it with another person. And let me tell you something, that is absolutely one of the most selfish things you can ever do. Now, here, here's, here's where you may want to pull your feet under the pews, and I speak to myself, I speak to all of us this morning, there are too many people that you know people that you have coffee with, people that you have lunch with, people that, that you work with, people that you study with, people that you live nearby, people that you have a relationship with, and they don't even know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. They are going to hell, they are going into a Christless eternity, but one of the reasons why you have a relationship with them is so that you can bring them to Jesus. He saves us to use us to bring someone else with us 
to Jesus. He transformed you so you can be a part of someone else's miracle. Let me say that again. Jesus transformed you so that you can be a part of someone else's miracle. We're about to see a miracle of a man, but that miracle would not have happened had someone else not been involved in their lives. So these people, we don't know how many, brought to Jesus this man who was deaf, this man who could not, it also says, who could not speak clearly. Now you understand, we learned how to speak by hearing other people speak. So if someone cannot hear properly, they will not speak properly. And this was the case with this man. He did not have damaged vocal cords. There was nothing wrong with his his larynx. There was nothing wrong with with, uh, the apparatus of his voice. It's just that not being able to hear properly means he could not speak properly. And because nothing recorded in the Bible, nothing recorded in this entire book is there incidentally, because there is nothing incidental in scripture i want you to notice that the very first thing jesus did was to separate the man from the crowd look at verse 33 it says after jesus took him aside away from the crowd i want you to picture this in your minds these people these friends these people who care deeply for this man bring him to jesus believing that he can heal and then immediately the first thing jesus does is he takes this person away from the crowd, away from his friends. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he take this person and remove him from the crowd? Why would he do that? What would be his reasoning in that? It wasn't because they lacked faith. There are times, or his friends lacked faith. Um, uh, there, There were times in Scripture where we can look and where Jesus would remove someone from a crowd of faithless people. He did that on a number of occasions. We won't go into that this morning. But there were times when he would remove people from a faithless group of people to work the miracle. That's not the reason here. These people had a a measure of faith. They believed that Jesus could heal. Otherwise, they wouldn't have brought him. That's not why this is happening. So why is it happening? I believe believe that Jesus separated the man from the crowd and, Because Jesus wanted the deaf man to look to him rather than to others. Let me explain that. Again, we know that these people cared for this man. I don't know much about him, but I really like this group of people that brought him to Jesus. They cared for him. They didn't just push him off to, you know, the edge of society. Well, you know, we can't really communicate very well. So we'll just kind of ignore him that wasn't the case they cared for him they brought him it says they they begged jesus on his behalf when something was spoken and the man couldn't understand they helped him they helped him understand when something needed to be done um they they were there to assist him when the deaf man was confused by something or when he was afraid of something or when he was alone this man, over the course of his lifetime, because we know that it was a lifetime, because again, remember, his, he didn't know how to speak. He'd not heard, so he was not able to do that. This man who, all of his life, had learned, I'm sure, to be somewhat dependent upon other people. He looked to others. And perhaps Jesus, in removing him from the crowd, who was very purposeful in everything that he did, took the deaf man aside and away from the crowd so that the man would look only to him. 
so that when Jesus said something or when Jesus did something, the deaf man, instead of looking at Jesus, would look over to his friends. Help me out. I believe this is why this this Savior who knows the hearts of people removed this man from the crowd. Now just a moment ago, I said how important it is that we have a part in someone else coming to Christ. I believe that, and I thank God for that. How he has used so many of you in bringing someone to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. There's one thing to bring someone to Christ and then become their Messiah, and that's a dangerous thing. And I've seen this on occasion where someone brings someone to Christ but then kind of becomes their de facto Lord. Only Jesus, of course, can save, but, but I'm, I'm always a little bit nervous when I see someone who is absolutely dependent spiritually upon another person. That's a dangerous thing. Many years ago, when I was pastoring in, in Fergus Falls, there was, a, uh, there was a young woman who began attending the church, a wonderful, godly young woman, and the Lord had just recently done a real transformation part in her life. But she'd grown up in a church, um, and I, I kind of put that in quotations because it was more, it had some real aspects of a cult. A very, very small group of people where any decision that was made had to be made by the pastor. I mean, down to should we buy this piece of furniture or that piece of furniture, we had to ask the pastor. Can I get married? I don't know. Let's go ask the pastor. He'll pray about it and have that. And boy, I, and she was so kind of had, had such bad experience with that. And there would be a lot of examples, other examples, very improper examples that I could share in regards to that situation. But it was really, really bad. That's not what we're talking about here. I, I, I don't, when, when we get to that point, that is a dangerous thing. And I, I fear, now while that may be an extreme example, I fear that sometimes we have people who become a surrogate Lord to someone else. If you, can, if you cannot serve Jesus without that other person, there's something wrong. That other person may have brought you to Christ may have discipled you, may have walked through some very deep valleys. But there are times when we have only Jesus. There are times when we need to look only to Jesus. That friend will not be there. That friend will not be there to comfort or walk us through. For one reason, that friend may die. That, that friend may go on to be with Jesus. They will not be there, but Jesus is calling you to look to him. And so Jesus removes this This man from the crowd, I believe, so that the man is focused entirely on Jesus alone. The second thing that Jesus did was very unexpected. Verse 33 again says this. After Jesus took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus, picture this in your minds, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, both of them, then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Now how many of you here How many of you here would say, that's kind of a different thing? How many here would say that? That's kind of different. Why would you do that? Um, It was different. On no other occasion in the Gospels does it record Jesus putting his fingers into deaf people's ears. And there were other people who were deaf that were healed, but this is the only occasion in which he put his fingers fingers into their ears 
This is the only occasion where Jesus spit and then touched that man's tongue with his saliva. There was another occasion in which Jesus spit and made some mud and healed a man's eyes, but this is the only occasion where it says that he took his saliva and touched the man's man's tongue. This This is very, very different. Now, Jesus often worked miracles by touching people. In fact, the the most common one, as Scripture puts it, is he would lay hands on people. In fact, that's usually how we pray for people today. Um, Just a little while ago, there were some people that came up for prayer, and we put their hand on their shoulder, we put our hand on the upper part of their back, and we pray for them. Sometimes we'll hold on to a wrist or we'll take hands. We lay hands on people. That's very scriptural, and that's very appropriate. And that's the, the way that we see most common in Scripture. I've prayed for many people. I've prayed for many people, but I have to tell you, I have never once put my fingers into their ears. Not once. I've prayed for thousands of people. I've never stuck my fingers into their ears. I have never, I, I promise you, I have never, when, I'm, when praying, I've never spit while I prayed for someone. Huh? I, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? I'm okay with that. How many here are okay with me not spitting or sticking my finger in your ears? <laughs> if, 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 if you start seeing um, uh, sanit- bottles of sanitary uh, wipe, uh, then you'll know that something's up. This was unusual. This was not common. So why did Jesus do it? We don't know for sure. He, doesn't, he didn't explain himself. The text does not tell us exactly why. But maybe, just maybe, because they asked Jesus to do it another way. If you have your Bibles, look down at verse 32. It says this, They begged Jesus to place his hand on the man. Remember, they knew something about it. They had heard how, yeah, it's remarkable. He just puts his hand on people and, uh, and they're healed. He puts his hand upon people and, and they're delivered. And so it says here, verse 32, they begged Jesus to place his hand on the man. But Jesus changed it up. Going right to the problem, going right to the problem, he put his fingers, probably his forefingers, in the man's ears. He touched the man's tongue with saliva from his own tongue. No sanitizer, no permission, he just went for it. And I have to wonder this, how often when we ask God to do something, he does it, but he does it, he does the desired thing in an unexpected way. Are there times when we ask Jesus to do something, we beg Jesus to do, we plead with Jesus to do something, And he does it, but he does it in unexpected ways. We have uh, our oldest son, his name is Tim, he's actually getting married this week. We're going to be flying out here in a few days, and he's getting married, just very excited about that. But our oldest son, Tim, is um, um, almost, uh, he's like borderline um, OCD. Everything has to be just a certain way. He got this from his mother, as you all know, if you know them. It's just, it's... 
when he was small, his favorite food was, and I think probably still is, tacos, but it had to be done in a certain way. The beans go down first, and then the meat, and then the cheese, and then the lettuce, and then the tomato, and then the sour cream, and then the Tabasco. Then he folds it a certain way, and it has to be that way. And, and I remember, it used to frustrate me, why are you like that? Well, stop acting like your mother, and, 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 and you know, it just had to be had to be a certain way. So one day, one day, he was probably 12 or 13 years old, I said, no, you're going to do it differently today. I thought, you know, just give a little bit of variety, shake it up. The kid's just, he's just, he's just, he's, he's something wrong with his head. And so, so, so just, what would you do? So I made him do it in a different way. And I just changed about two or three, the order of two or three. The kid almost became physically ill. He said, I just, I taste different. It, it's wrong. And he just, he became so agitated. And I thought of that when I was reading this, and I wonder sometimes how we can ask God, demand of God, plead with God, and we say we want it done a certain way, and when it doesn't happen, we get all agitated. Are there times when we ask Him to do something, and He does it, He desires to do it, He promises to do it, but He does it in a way that we don't expect, and we get all upset. God, I want it done this way. I want it done here. I want it done in this time frame. And then God just shakes it up a little bit and says, no, we're going to do it in a different order. We're going to do it in an unexpected way. And we go, oh, no, but God, I want a miracle prepackaged. I want my miracles nice. I want my miracles comfortable. I don't like my miracles messy. But you know what? I see through Scripture and I've I've seen in my lifetime, sometimes God does miracles in a messy way that we would not expect, but He still works miracles. He still works miracles, but He's not always going to do it in the way or in the time that you and I expect. Sometimes He shakes it up. And that's a good thing, because it keeps me looking to Him rather than looking to myself. Because if He does it always according to the way that I expect, then somehow, some way, I begin to take on lordship rather than yielding myself completely to him. Let me be very clear on something. Jesus Christ, then and now, will never go against character. He will never do things that will violate what his word says. His character is not going to change, but he may go against your expectation. He will not go against character, his character, but he may go against your expectation. There's another thing that Jesus did that was, again, a bit unusual. Look at verse 34. It says, He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh. I want you to picture that, but I think it went something like this. He, remember now, picture this in your mind. His fingers are in the ears. He has just touched his tongue. His fingers are in the ear. He looks up to, to heaven. When someone sighs, they often do so because they're tired. You're tired at the end of the day, you, you sigh. Or you sigh when you are discouraged. Something happens and you get that phone call and you go, oh. or you sigh because you feel something deeply. You see it, you hear it, and you go, and, and it may not even be with you, it may be with someone else, and you go, oh. 
we, we all do it. If I sigh, my wife says, what's the matter? I said, what's, what do you mean, what's the matter? She said, you just sighed again. You're the same way. Well, Jesus was, well, he may have been tired. I don't believe that's why he did it. But remember, as I mentioned a moment ago, everything in the book is intentional. There's nothing there by mistake. Understand that. He was not discouraged. He knows that this man is about to be healed. But I believe he did so because he felt this deeply. Actually, the Greek word that is used here um, can also be translated groan. So maybe Jesus went like this. Jesus had encountered so many hurting people. Remember, you, you, you've got the gospel here. You see one after another. They, they try to get away and the people come. He's, he's in a home. He doesn't want anybody to know earlier in this chapter and a woman comes and says, I've got a child who's, who's demon-possessed. And, and, and they go into a boat and they get to the other side and the people run around and there are all kinds of hurting people. Jesus saw so many hurting people. Jesus also knew their hearts. He, he knew their hearts. And so can you imagine how difficult it must have been at times for Jesus to be walking through a crowd and he would know people's hearts and he would see things and he would see the, 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 the way that the enemy had, had damaged so much of humanity, where he had, he had damaged all of humanity, how, how sickness was so prevalent while pain was so prevalent and, 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 and destruction was all around him. And Jesus felt this all the time. Let me tell you this, Jesus still feels what we feel. Some of you really need to get a hold of that because you've been wondering, does Jesus even know where I am? Does he know what I'm going through? Does he know how difficult this is? Let me tell you, Jesus still knows what we feel. He feels what we feel. Get a hold of that. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Listen to this. It says of Jesus, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus suffered when he was being tempted, but because of that, he helps us when we are tempted. Jesus knows what you're going through. He feels what we feel. Two chapters later, Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 15 tells us that Jesus is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He feels it. When you're hurting, when you're struggling, when you're you're going through it, He feels that. Jesus feels what we feel. (coughs) There's one more thing that Jesus did here. I want you to see this. Boy, it's so easy to read through and miss what... What, what is being spoken here. But one more thing I want you to notice that Jesus did here. He spoke the words, be opened. Verse 34 again. Jesus looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. Now, it's, this is what I'm about to say is not recorded, but I think that when Jesus spoke that Aramaic word, Aramaic was his, his first language, when he spoke that Aramaic word, Ephatha, when he said, be opened, 
I believe that as soon, remember, picture it, he looks up into heaven, he sighs, fingers are still in the ear. I believe that as soon as he said, be opened, he pulled his fingers out of the man's ears. Now, I don't know exactly what happened internally, but, but the, the intricate and the interconnected apparatus that carries sound to a person's, the little hammer and the anvil and the stirrup and the, the cochlea and the little membranes and that nerve that goes to the particular part of the brain. I don't know which part of it was messed up. I don't know if all of it mess, was messed up. I don't know if all of it wasn't there. But suddenly in a moment when he pulled his fingers out of the man's ear and he said, be open, it all made sense. And immediately it all worked and the man could hear glory to God. He was completely in a second made right. I don't know if it popped. I don't know if it buzzed. I don't know if that guy's head snapped back. I don't know. But I know this. From one moment he could not hear, the next moment he could hear perfectly. And the first, think of this. Think of this. This is so cool. It doesn't record it, but think of it. The first thing he hears is Jesus' voice. I, it's, this is just me. There's, it's, weird, it's a weird word. E-P-H-P-H-A-T-H-A. You can't even pronounce it. I think somewhere between the first PH and the next PH, he pulled his fingers out and the man hears Hatha, something like that. The first thing that he hears is Jesus' echoing voice, command. And the next thing he hears is his own voice. It's true. It says it right there, verse 35. At this, the man's ears were opened his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. <laughs> that is pretty cool. And he pulls the fingers out. He hears Jesus' resonating voice, and then he starts talking, and he can hear himself. I think his eyes were wide open. Uh, here, again, doesn't record it, but I think, you know, you know I, think, I think he responded sometimes the way that we do. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I don't think he responded that way at all. I think he got excited. Because suddenly something that was never opened before is open. And I believe he let out a yell. And then he let out a yell, another yell. And then he let out another one. And I don't think he stopped praising Jesus for a long time. Glory to God. His eyes were open. His ears were open. His spirit was open. This was a compounded, more than asked for miracle. Remember, the, the people begged him, would you just come and lay your hands? And Jesus didn't do that. No, he put his fingers in the air and touched his, his tongue with his own saliva. He not only did that, but he also worked a miracle that was beyond what they had asked for and beyond what they expected. They expected the man just to hear, and then you go into speech therapy and you learn the language. But no, it was a compounded miracle. It says he could hear and he could speak clearly. Now listen to this. It's a great story, but here's where we bring it to us. These things Jesus still does. Let me tell you something. He opens what no one else can open. Get that in your heart this morning. Jesus opens what no one else can open. And he allows us to say what we would never otherwise say. When Jesus begins to transform a life, 
suddenly some things that were shut down and closed down are opened up. And when Jesus begins to, tra- begins to transform our lives, we begin saying things that we never ever thought that we would say because of His work in us. That problem with no apparent answer because of Jesus in our life suddenly has an answer. Be opened. That broken relationship that may be decades deep, that may have happened last week, but that broken relationship with no apparent fix can suddenly be fixed because of the power of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. He opens up more than ears. That lack of understanding. You have something before you and you know that there's an answer, but you don't know exactly where it's going to come from and you're trying to figure out what, what, I don't understand this and and I need help. And suddenly he opens up something in our minds and we have this understanding that we never had before. He still opens what no one else can open. There's an opportunity. We know there's an opportunity, but it wasn't there a moment ago, but suddenly the opportunity is there, and he says, be opened, and you walk through it. And some of those opportunities were closed before because they weren't supposed to be opened yet at that point, but suddenly the opportunity is open before you, and you are to walk through it. He opens what no one else can open. morning this this wonderful powerful one miracle just one among so many miracle of jesus is for every one of us here this morning jesus removed someone from the crowd do you need to refocus on him has the lord spoken to you through this through this story and and maybe the Holy Spirit said, yeah, you know, you've been looking to other people for your strength more than you've been looking to me. If that's you this morning, then God wants to do a work in your life. So maybe Jesus wants to take you away from the, the crowd, take you away from that, that, that person maybe who has been very deeply influential, but he wants you to get your eyes back on him. Or, or maybe Jesus, who did an, uh, an amazing thing in an unusual way, He wants to do an amazing thing in your life in a way that you have not asked for and would not expect. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him even if the answer comes in a different form than what you expected? Will you trust Him? Remember for a moment, this man was not blind, he was deaf. He could see Jesus coming with his fingers. He could see Jesus touching his tongue and and then touching the man's tongue. But he didn't run. Will you trust him even if the answer is coming in an unusual way? Jesus felt deeply. This morning, do you need reminding that Jesus feels what you feel? Do you need to be reminded today by the Holy Spirit through this this text that 
He knows what you're going through, that you're not alone, that He feels it deeply. Jesus opened what no one else could ever open. There was no procedure then or now that could ever open up this man's ears. But Jesus did. He still opens what no one else can open. Is there something locked down in your life? Something from your past, but it's still in your present, that is locked down, and you need to remind, be reminded that He still opens what no one else can open. Is that you this morning? I want to pray with you. I think that there are a lot of us here today that would resonate, that would, that one of those points would resonate with where we're. One of the things that Jesus did then resonates with where we are now. And I want to pray for you. We're almost at the close of our service. And uh, you certainly have plans perhaps for this day, but I want to pray with you. I want to pray that God will do his work in you, even in these moments ahead and, the, and in the hours and in the days ahead that His Holy Spirit will bring these things back to your minds and your hearts to transform your life. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord Jesus, I pray for that person or those persons who need to be removed from the crowd, whose hearts and attention and eyes and trust has been more on who they're with than who they serve. I pray for them this morning that, Jesus, You would... Remove them from the crowd that their eyes would be completely on you and on you alone. I pray for codependency to be broken. I pray for misguided allegiance to be redirected to you and to you alone. Lord, I pray for that person or those persons who are needing some kind of a miracle and they've asked you, but perhaps they've asked you to do it in their time frame or in their way. I pray, Jesus, that they would surrender that to you and that they would trust you even if the answer comes in an unusual way. If the answer is on its way and they see it coming, I pray that they would not run, that they would not reject, but that they would trust you even if the answer is coming in an unusual way. I pray, Lord, for that person or those persons this morning who feel something, hurt, fear, a dread, a sorrow, and who have even wondered if you understand what they're going through. May you, through your word today, remind them that you feel what they feel, but you don't leave them there. For you are not only a God who is a compassionate God, but you are a powerful God who does not simply empathize, but who transforms. But may you remind them that you feel what they feel. Lord, I pray for that person or those persons who are locked down in some area. I pray that you would open what no one else could ever open. I pray that you would liberate what no one else could ever set free. I pray, Jesus, that you would bring release 
to a body, to a mind, to a spirit right now. That you, the one who worked miracles then, would work miracles today. I pray, Lord, that you would again say to them in their hearts, in their minds, in their lives, in their jobs, in the dreams that you've given them, be opened. Be opened. I pray it right now, Lord. Be opened in Jesus' name. Lord, those bondages right now, be opened in Jesus' name. Those those areas of lockdown, be opened in Jesus' name. That lack of understanding, be opened in Jesus' name. That, that, that fear that has bound them, be opened in Jesus' name. That, that regard over the future, they don't know the uncertainty, the fear, be opened in Jesus' name. The thing that has been held holding back the, 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 the progression of, of what you desire to do, be opened in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. What you did then, do now. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please, around this sanctuary? I want to ask God's blessing on you. Again, as always, these altars are open. Please, if you desire, if there's something in you that that says, yeah, I really believe that there has to be something open or something redirected, please understand these altars are going to be open, and I want you to come. I want you to come. I also know that some of you are going to be going, and that's fine, but, but let's just pray right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power in which you set people free, and I ask that you will continue to do that. Lord, that you will also then use us. We have been set free. We have been transformed, not simply to make it to heaven in one piece, but you transformed us so that we might be instrumental in transforming others. Would you use us, Lord? Would you use us in the days and in the hours ahead to be used of you to see other people's changed? Lord, bring this word back to us again and again as we trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this morning.